Hour number two this morning on 106.7 The Fan. Thanks for hanging out with us on a Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. However you might be listening, be that on the AM, FM dial, the Odyssey app, or on our stream at thefandc.com. We're glad you're here. I'm Danny Noakes. Ryan Clary back in the studio producing the show. 800-636-1067 is the MGM National Harbor listener line. We're changing things up here for the next couple of segments, changing pace a little bit, going to a little baseball. We're going to talk some nationals, and coming up in about 10 minutes, a little over 10 minutes from now, we talk to RJ Anderson from CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. Before we return to some NFL discussion a little bit later on in the hour, it's a great time of year. Preseason football almost over. Fantasy drafts are happening. You've also got Hard Knocks airing. Oh, this season of Hard Knocks. It's the Lions, I know, but it's actually been quite entertaining so far. And I think the third episode that comes out this week also going to be entertaining. Not to mention, on the NFL Network, you also have the Top 100 Players airing, which to me is always one of the more interesting things to see throughout the year because it's voted on by the players. And we already saw Jonathan Allen a part of that list. So we'll go into more on that a little bit later. By the way... Coming up later today on 106.7 The Fan, Nats at the Padres, 4-10 first pitch. So a ways to go before that. But we're talking Nats right now who are having a little bit of some surprising success out there in San Diego. They've taken two of three from the Padres so far. But they did drop the game 2-1 to one to the Padres last night. And they'll obviously play one more later on this afternoon. Padres are going to try and split the series. But yeah, it was it was painful last night because the two runs that the Padres scored were off of solo home runs. One was from Juan Soto, and the other was from Josh Bell. You knew that something like that was going to happen at some point very soon. And whenever you've got a former player like that coming to town, I- I'm scarred now from Harper coming coming to town from Philadelphia, coming back to D.C., because he always seems to light the Nats up. And he's missed some time due to injury this year. But obviously the reigning NL MVP, that dude has been very good out there in Philly. Now, that all being said, the Nats dropped two out of three to the Padres at home last weekend. But But hey, they're not expected to win these games right now, right? That's not necessarily what we're tuning in to watch. That's not necessarily anything having to do with what anybody cares about when it comes to the Nats right now because we want to see what these prospects are up to and how quickly we might see them in an actual Nationals uniform. But before we get to that, and we will get to that, Josiah Gray had another solid outing last night, pitched five innings. You know, it's certainly not his his best game and we, we've we seen him pitch a lot better in, in some of them. But for me, five innings, four hits, one earned run, five walks, three strikeouts on 102 pitches, that's a gutsy performance to me. For, for someone like Josiah Gray, who's obviously still very young and playing for a team that's 41 and 81, right, 40 games under 500, the, there's obviously not a lot of talent on this roster, at least not yet. It has yet to be developed if if there is actually talent on this roster. But Josiah Gray has a pretty tough job coming in and being the ace of this rotation that already has incredibly low expectations. And you're, you're going up against the lineup in, in San Diego who is not as good as it should be without Fernando Tatis Jr., who's now going to miss extended time with his performance-enhancing drug suspension. But it's still not easy to go through. I mean, 
they haven't had Tatis all season long in their 67 and 56, which is good enough for almost 20 games back in the NL West. More on that in a moment as well. Still, it's not easy for Josiah Gray to, to go in and just hum strikes in and expect your defense to, to make plays behind you when you know you, you've got this sort of team behind you. I mean, we're just we're just being honest here, right? So the two to one loss last night, yeah, it stings because of, of, of how it happened, but I'm not trying to take any cheap shots here. But the Padres are in a bit of trouble, if you ask me, right? Because you have Fernando Tatis Jr., who's now done for the year. Not to mention, there are still giant expectations for this team. You did still trade for Juan Soto, and you gave up the farm to go and get him. They've got him for this year's postseason run, and they've got him for the next two after that. That's still plenty of time and a couple of off-seasons to put even more guys around the roster that you have right now. But you've got Josh Hader, who's pitching pretty poorly right now. And and Hader comes out of their bullpen, but they're... they're I would say that their starting rotation is good, not great. Yeah? And the Dodgers still have an 18-game lead in the National League West. So you're, you, you, they, the Padres made these moves with the goal of making the wild card. They already knew that they weren't going to be able to catch the, Pod, or the, the Dodgers to, to win the NL West. It just wasn't going to happen. But trading for Soto was never about winning the division for them. Not, not this year. And it's not to say that a wildcard team can't run through and go and win the World Series. See, 2019. That's exactly what the Nationals did. But the Padres with Joe Musgrove, with Hugh Darvish, and with Blake Snell, that's a pretty good three-man rotation to start things off. But it's not Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom, right? It's not... And I, and I know the Dodgers just lost Walker Bueller, but... it. Is that a rotation that you can expect to lock down the Dodgers, lock down Trey Turner and Mookie Betts and and the re- and Justin Turner and the rest of the the studs that they have on on that team? I don't know. It hasn't been in the regular season, so it's it's obviously very frustrating for Nats fans. I'm sure to to watch as Soto continues to to have success and and specifically doing so against the Nationals last night, but I'm telling you, keep it keep this all in in the back of your mind because the the Padres have a very uphill battle. And for the Nats, we just saw for the first time making his debut in a Nationals uniform CJ Abrams, right? And he's not going to be he's definitely not going to be the last guy that comes up for the Nats that we've been waiting to see this year because Cade Cavalli had another incredibly impressive outing just a couple of nights. It might have been last night, actually. I might have the dates mixed up there, but he's been dominant. He's he's had a sub-1 ERA for the last few games. He's been absolutely dominant. We've really just been waiting to see when they're going to bring Cade Cavalli up, right? And, and I, I don't think we'll see Elijah Green this year, maybe even not until later next year, but... We've seen him hit some pretty long home runs down there. I think he's playing down in, in either the Gulf Coast League or, or one of those other rookie ball teams. And, and and that's still exciting, right? So keep the faith is is what my my assessment of this would be because yeah, they're they're forty games under five hundred right now are the nationals and, and watching them every day might be a, a fruitless endeavor, but the offseason is going to come around. They're going to continue to develop these players. And they're also probably going to sign some guys. And you never know. Teams, 
at least recently, the, the Giants were a good example last year. The Orioles are a team that's doing it this year. Teams that are ahead of schedule. Young teams that are ahead of schedule in their rebuilds. Maybe it's a one-off thing, but if you put the right guys around your younger core, then you could get them to a point where they're competing earlier on in their tenures. Not to mention you could sustain that success a little bit earlier if if, if what you've put in place is, is good. So... We got to get out of here. Got to step aside. Got to take a quick break because coming up next, we're talking to RJ Anderson, CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. We're talking baseball with him next. Stick around on 1067 The Fan. Talking baseball, baseball here on a Sunday morning. Welcome back, 1067 The Fan. Danny Noakes with you. Ryan Clary producing the show. Talking a little Nationals right now before we get back into a little bit of Commanders later on. A reminder, coming up at 11.15, we're going to talk to Linnell Willingham, 106.7 The Fans' own Linnell Willingham, pre- and post-game coverage for the Commanders as well as an overtime host here. We'll get his thoughts on the Commanders' loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in yesterday's second preseason game. But right now, over to the phones we go to welcome in our first guest. Let's give a warm welcome to my pal R.J. Anderson of CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. You can find him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. R.J., thanks for the time on a Sunday morning, man. How's everything going? Everything is going well. How about yourself? Doing all right. I, I, I can't complain. You know, and, and the last time we talked about, I think it was two weeks ago, we were maybe a handful of days removed from the Nationals trading away Juan Soto to the San Diego Padres. And since then, the Nationals have actually played five games against the San Diego Padres. And it wasn't until last night that it really came back to bite them for the first time. And we know it won't be the last time, but having both Soto and Bell go deep each for solo home runs and that being the difference in the game, well, in a word, that's that's pretty frustrating, but also not to be unexpected, was it? <laughs> right. It was just a matter of time before Bell got going and also Soto did big damage against the Nationals. There was many games they played against one another. You know, most of those guys are really good hitters, so... All you can do really is tap your uh, tip your cap sometimes to them and yeah. hope that uh, it only happens once instead of you know consecutive games or three games in a row or something like that. Yeah, and and really the Nats actually haven't been doing a terrible job at keeping those guys in check. They've taken two out of three from San Diego so far in this series. They'll play one more as San Diego tries to split the series later on this afternoon. But I, I, I'll go back to the Padres and we can talk about them specifically in a minute, RJ. But looking at the Nationals right now, it's it's obviously less about winning baseball games and and really us getting our first look at some of these prospects that they've brought in and, and others too that are trying to work their way up in the organization. And, and earlier this week, we got our first look at CJ Abrams, who's, who's expected to be a stalwart in the middle infield for the nationals for years to come. He's gotten four hits so far. We we've seen how quick the guy can be. And the nationals are also probably going to bring up Cade Cavalli at some point very soon, because he's just been incredibly dominant over his last stretch of games. So I, I know Nats fans out there are looking for something positive to look toward. And, and this would be it. These guys that are coming up this year, I, it's going to be exciting. I think to get their first look in a nationals uniform. Yeah, and with Abrams, you know, it's just a matter of his swing decisions and his quality of contact. And it's a little concerning to me that he's struck out so many times already and, you know, a handful of games with the Nationals. So that bears watching. With Cavalli, 
Yeah, he's had some struggles in AAA just with his pitches in the zone, which is a little concerning because he has really good stuff and he's a really good athlete. So I'm kind of curious to see how he'll perform against big league hitters when he gets the call, and I do expect that's going to be sooner than later. I just don't think there's much more you know, developmental uh, meat on the bone, so to speak, from having him face AAA hitters when you know, maybe he comes up and struggles. Well, join the club, you know. Yep, that's definitely that's definitely a, a theme throughout the year. I would say R.J. Anderson, CBSSports.com, Major League Baseball coverage is with us right now. You can find him on Twitter at r underscore j underscore Anderson. Later on, we can talk maybe a, a couple of weeks down the road. The next time we catch up, R.J., we can check back in on the Nats. But you know, there are a lot of really interesting playoff races and just happenings in Major League Baseball right now. And and I look at the Padres as, as one of those more interesting happenings because obviously everybody has their eye on, on Fernando Tatis Jr. and that giant suspension that he got and he's going to miss several games. And, and that's a big hit to the team. But you also have Josh Hader, who's, who's very much struggling right now. And, and it's not like they're going to catch the Dodgers in the National League West. So they're in a very precarious situation as they try to make their first postseason run with Soto, that that wild card race out there in the National League is is just heating up. Yeah, and I think one of the top things going for them is that the Brewers themselves have had a lot of issues. So, you know, they have a two game lead over Milwaukee entering today, and we'll see how that works out. But, you know, I still think that San Diego team is going to make the postseason, even without the Tees and even with some of Pedro's struggles. I think there's just too much talent there for them not to get in. Uh, that said, you know, if you're a Padres fan, you're probably taking back to last year and how the team collapsed down the stretch and starting to wonder if you're going to experience the case of deja vu. It's definitely something that has to be on the minds of any Padres fans out there. And you mentioned the Brewers out there in the NL Central, RJ. They're five games back of the Cardinals for the, the division lead there. Uh, so there's a chance that they could overtake St. Louis there for the division lead. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but you know, the baseball that, that Milwaukee's been playing recently hasn't been their best, but the, the rest of the national league East is, is, is quite strong. And between the Mets and the Braves, I mean, those two teams feel like they're, they're just jockeying back and forth and have been for the last couple of weeks when the Mets have come out and, and, seemingly gotten a stranglehold on the Braves. The Braves then come back in the next series, and, and they seem to give it to the Mets. So I think that the finish to the season in the National League East is also going to be particularly interesting. Yeah, I mean, you have a defending champion. You have you know the Mets, who are probably the second-best team in the National League uh, behind the Dodgers. Then you have the Phillies, who, you know, to their credit, are also positioned in a wild-card spot. And, right. you know, this is kind of what we expected of the National League East, and it's fun to actually see it come to fruition because sometimes in the past in that division, we've said, oh, you know, this will be the year for the Phillies or this will be the year for the Mets, and then they end up disappointing. And, you know, to their credit, they're actually, you know, living up to the hype this year. And I think those Mets-Braves games are going to be very exciting. We saw this week in that four-game series. Those are two pretty evenly balanced teams, and, you know, credit to the Braves and their youngsters. Uh, the difference is really guys like Michael Harris second and Spencer Strider and even Vaughn Grissom, who's their newest call-up. So it's going to be fun the rest of the way, you're right. And, uh, you know, whichever way it shakes out, I do think we're going to have three of those National League East teams in the postseason. 
Yeah, the Marlins are not one of those teams, but they're certainly not an easy win. So they're, you know, they're they're not someone that the Phillies, the Mets, or or the Braves are certainly just going to walk over for a win. Not like they could the Nationals at this point in their season. But I want to flip it over to the American League before I let you go, partner, because in the American League East, you also have a couple of really fascinating trends, two very different trends for two very different teams right now. Everybody wants to know what's going on with the New York Yankees. I'm sure Yankees fans are pulling their hair out up there in the Bronx, but they've yeah. lost 15 of their last 19 games. They're 9-20 and 20 since the All-Star break. They're an absolute tailspin right now. And Aaron Boone, their manager, just says that they need to play better. Do you think it's that simple? What, what, has, what have you noticed about this recent trend there with the Yankees and them playing so poorly? Yeah, I mean, they've had a lot of offensive struggles. And I think we lost RJ there for just a second. We'll work on getting him back. But, you know, we'll, when we do get him back, I definitely want to get his thoughts on the American League and what's been going on with the Yankees. He mentioned the offensive struggles there. And when you're a team that that's, has a lineup featuring Judge and, and Giancarlo Stanton, you're going to be expected to produce offense. So no doubt that not ha- being able to produce at that level is going to hurt them. I think we've got RJ back yeah. now. RJ, you were in the middle of talking about the Yankees' offensive <laughs> struggles. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we're not far removed from talking about them potentially setting the single-season record for wins. So there's a lot of talent on that team. They just haven't played up to their talent level as of late for whatever reason. And, you know, sometimes this stuff happens, and I will admit that I don't remember a team as talented as this one and as good as this one going through a stretch like this, but I have to think they're going to right the ship, still make the playoffs, still in the American League East, and we'll see what happens in October. Yeah, they they still got a seven-game lead in the American League East over the Toronto Blue Jays, eight over Tampa Bay, and then... A little bit further down the division, but still in a position to potentially make a playoff spot, RJ, are the Baltimore Orioles, who are ahead of schedule in terms of their rebuild and bringing guys up and whatnot. I don't know if they will make the playoffs. It's certainly still a possibility at this point, but what's impressed you about the way that Baltimore's played this year? Yeah, I mean, I just love Adley Rushman as a player. Uh, he was my favorite prospect during the season, and he's come up in the last, you know, basically since July, he has looked like arguably the best catcher in baseball, uh, not only offensively, but also defensively. I mean, to think he's a rookie, it's really just impressive how much of a field general he is, how good he is at framing, how good he is at throwing. He's just an all-around star, in my opinion. And one thing to keep an eye on with Baltimore is when they'll call up Gunnar Henderson. He's probably, you know, he might be the best prospect in the minors now, if not he's the second or third best. He's an infielder. They've been getting him time at first base and second base this week in preparation for a call-up. He might help swing the scales in their favor. But, yeah, uh, I think the young talent there, particularly Rushman, has really impressed me the most. RJ, one quick one before I let you go, partner. American League Central, Cleveland Guardians, Minnesota Twins, Chicago White Sox. Guardians currently lead the division, Twins just a game back, and Chicago only two and a half games back. Who do you think yeah. ultimately comes out with, with both the, the pennant here, the division winner, and does any of these other teams sneak into the playoffs, do you think? Yeah, I think it's between the Guardians and Twins. You know, the White Sox have underperformed all season. They still have a manager who's issuing intentional walks and two strikes mm-hmm. out. So mm-hmm. I would guess Guardians and Twins. Guardians have had better luck with regards to health. So I guess I'll go with them. All right. I like it. I like it, RJ. Thanks so much for the time today, partner. I'll let you go. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, buddy, and we will do it again very soon. Anytime. Thank you. 
Appreciate you, dude. That's RJ Anderson of CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. Find him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. Always appreciate RJ's insight. See, there's a lot of really interesting things going on in Major League Baseball right now. I mean, the, the, the fact that the American League Central, the top three teams are all within two and a half games of each other. It's not it's it's a closer race than what you're seeing in the National League East, but the Phillies, who are the furthest back in the in the race for the pennant in the National League East, are still in a position to make a playoff, uh, get a playoff spot. So, who knows what the the end of this Major League Baseball season is going to give us? It certainly seems like it's shaping up to be incredibly exciting. But right now, got to step aside, take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got more football to get into as well as your calls at 800-636-1067. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to 1067 The Fan. Thanks so much to R.J. Anderson, CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage for hanging out with us for a bit in the last segment. Glad you're with us on a Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen, about halfway home with you up until noon. I'm Dandy Noakes, my dude Ryan Cleary, back in the studio producing the show. If you want to jump into the conversation, you can do that with the MGM National Harbor listener line. That number is 800 636 1067. You can also shoot me a tweet if that's even easier for you. At Danny Noakes. You could tweet the station at 1067 the fan. Hey, just don't tweet and drive. That's all I ask. Coming up at 11:15, Linnell Willingham, pre and post-game host for the Commanders, right here on 1067 the fan. And the guy that you always hear hosting overtime is going to join us a little bit later on in the show, about 45 minutes from now. I'm pumped to talk to Linnell. Linnell's got great energy, and he's been out at Commander's Training Camp all August long. And he's been locked in on that stuff. So I'm really interested to hear what Linnell has to say about the Commanders in their second preseason game. I've, I've seen him on Twitter, as a matter of fact, today talking about the Commander's performance. So I know he's going to come in with the heat. He's going to bring the opinions. He's going to tell us exactly what's going on there. But so I wanted to bring some. I I want to I want to look at some of the other NFL happenings right now, and because I saw a couple of different things last night, and and with the preseason, everyone's playing on Saturdays and whatnot. Maybe there's a couple of more uh, games today, but at the Jaguars Steelers game, we saw a massive fight in the stands, and it's pretty brutal actually you know there are no there's no shortage of specifically in NFL games these types of fights whether they're in the stands or they're out at the tailgates it, it seems like they're happening more often and I, I actually saw another fight that broke out last night I believe at the Buccaneers Titans game and I think this one was actually between two Buccaneers fans and one didn't even look like he could have been much older than than 17 years old right so i you never know the whole story behind any of this stuff but whenever i see one of these fights and by the way this is not at all limited to the national football league i've seen fights in nhl games i'm seeing more and more fights at major league baseball games a surprising amount of fights at major league baseball games considering i don't know baseball is a pretty chill sport you know football i could somewhat understand there's a lot more testosterone if you will but uh, baseball america's pastime things are usually a little bit more chill when it comes to the stands there are more kids at baseball games not that there aren't kids at football games too but this is happening more often and no i'm not going to draw some parallel to 
some overarching societal issues, which we could definitely have a conversation about, but that's not what I'm here to do. I just find it both fascinating and stupid that any grown person would get into a fist fight at a sporting event. I certainly understand the passion that fans have for their teams, right? I always say it, and I will continue to say it. Grew up in Northern Virginia, suburb of Washington, D.C. All these teams that I get to talk about, the Nats, the Caps, the Commanders, the Wizards, they're all my teams. They're all the teams that I grew up rooting for and the teams that I will always root for. And I couldn't root for anybody else, even if one of them does something to me that forces me to not be able to root for them anymore. Couldn't root for anybody else. I understand the fandom part of this. I understand going to games and getting frustrated and not being able to vent those frustrations maybe the way that you would have hoped. But it's just getting into a fist fight, uh, especially at a sporting event, right? It's one thing if you're defending yourself, right? And and in some of those scenarios, I'm sure that's exactly what's happening. Not going to call out exactly which examples that would be because we don't know. But it just baffles me that that we that 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 I still see this so often. I I don't know I, I just I, I don't have a desire to fight anybody that much, you know. I, I, I like to think that I'm a pretty level headed person and, and even when alcohol gets involved, you know, we, we all get a little chippy in, in both the verbal and literal sense, but I don't know. I just feel like I have a little bit more self control where I couldn't see myself throwing down with a random person at a sporting event or a concert or something like that. I mean, Ryan, I feel like we see more and more of this sort of stuff each and every week, each and every season. Yeah. <laughs> this this time it, it, it happened twice in two different NFL games last night, but I don't know. I just... I, I'm in too good a mood when I go to games now. I even even if I'm going to to a Commanders game, I know what to expect. I know getting into FedEx Field is going to suck. I know the Commanders are probably going to lose. I have tempered expectations, so maybe maybe that's why I'm I'm not going in just trying to 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 knock somebody out. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 and especially for baseball games, it's always like, how are you getting fights at a baseball game? And especially yeah. if you look at, uh, like, there's this one Twitter account that posts, like, baseball fan fights, right. which I don't follow. I don't endorse it. <laughs> but I see I've about every other day there's two Dodgers fans pummeling each other in the stands. Yeah. And they root for the same team. And they're still getting in fights. So what are what is it over? Like, that's all I want to know. What is this about? <laughs> especially that's when, a it's, great question. when it's two Dodgers fans. And it's like yeah. every other day you see that. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to know why. I, I think I think I I think I've seen two Dodgers fans going at it within like the last week or so. I believe we also saw a big fight that broke out at the All Star game when it was out in there the stands, in LA. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you make a great point. It it does a lot of times seem to happen with Dodgers fans. And and you ask a great question too, Ryan. What could you possibly be fighting one another over when you're in the stands at a Dodgers game? Your team's got an eighteen game lead in the division. What exactly are you so fired up about? It's either the Dodgers or the Yankees. I see a lot of fights at Yankees games as well. <laughs> I guess it's just like the bleacher environment out there to where it's like there's younger kids and, and right. a lot of people drinking so many beer snakes, so I, I don't know. I guess beer maybe snakes. that that has something to do with it. 
It could. It definitely could. And I, I mean, the alcohol definitely has something to do with it, right? It, it seems like pretty much all of these scuffles are, are fueled by alcohol, as are a lot of terrible things that uh, that, that happen in this world. But uh, when it when it comes to the fights, like you said, I just I, I was at a Nationals. I was at the Nats game two days before they traded Soto. So I believe it was it was July 31st. And I just remember sitting around. Now, this is a Nationals game where Nats Park is mostly empty these days. I mean, Ryan, you know, you get to go to you get to go to games pretty often yeah. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I've actually ever seen a, a fight in, in the stands at, at a Nats game. Not that there couldn't be and not that there hasn't been, because I'm sure there has at least once. But I, I don't know. It's just very chill. I, I was even at a Padres game earlier this year in June, Ryan, and, and the fans there just very nice and again not everybody is 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 the same there's always some outliers but it's i don't know and in my personal experience now there's one there was one instance when i was actually a kid where i didn't almost get into a fight but there was someone it was at a redskins eagles game and i want to say it was it was the fall of 2004 actually at this point it had turned to winter cuz i think it was december it might have even been after christmas it was one of the last games of the season redskins were eliminated right there was there it was no chance that they make the playoffs the eagles though were good the this was the year that the eagles actually would go on play and lose in the super bowl to the patriots by a field goal but i want to say it was the maybe the last game of the season and, you know, it was the game that Brian Dawkins suplexed one of those Redskins receivers, if anybody <laughs> can remember that. Does anybody remember that? Brian Dawkins absolutely just re- wrestle move, just took a guy and suplexed him over his back. It was it was wild. Uh, and it didn't, at the time, did not draw a penalty. Uh, but what I remember about the game is there were a, a pretty large group of Eagles fans that were, you know, doing their E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles chant, uh, and they were directing it towards us, you know, me and my my brother, who at the time, 2004, I was 11, so he would have been nine. We were very young, and they were, they were kind of taunting us specifically, uh, and my dad didn't like that, and my dad... For as as diehard a DC sports fan that I am, I get it from my old man. So uh, you can only imagine how my father took that. And uh, there were no fists thrown or anything like that, but there were there there was some words exchanged there. Um, and and actually, I remember my dad had a smile on his face for for the the entirety of it. So it was it was mostly playful, I think. But that's the only time that I can really remember, like an instance at a pro sporting event where I was even remotely close to, to some sort of altercation, which there didn't end up being. And it was only verbal. There was nothing physical about it. So uh, I don't know. People are crazy these days. I guess that's, that's just what it comes down to. Anyway, let's come back after a quick break and we'll wrap up our number two, more NFL stuff, hard knocks next episode coming out this week. Training camp's always a fun time of year. We got more to get to more NFL. It's coming up next one six, seven, the fan. Coming up on the end of hour number two this morning, how's everybody doing? Danny Noakes with you on 106.7 The Fan, with you for about another hour. Up until noon is when we jump off, and then coming up at 4.10 later on this afternoon, we've got 
Nationals baseball for you. The Nats trying to officially take the series from the San Diego Padres as the Padres tried to just split the series. Obviously, Soto and Bell going deep last night to give the Padres a 2-1 to win over the Nats. But obviously, expectations for the Nationals not particularly high right now. We're just more interested in... How are these guys like C.J. Abrams and, and hopefully Cade Cavalli soon? How are they looking as we see them in Nationals uniforms for the first time as they come up and as they do that, as they call up more of their prospects? That's what we really care about. Now, talking a little NFL, talking a little bit about some fights that we've seen in the stands in the last segment, just kind of reminiscing a little bit. And now I want to go over to the phones where we've got Jim in Falls Church who's got a story for us. Jim, thanks for calling in this morning. How's everything going? Good morning, Danny. It's going well. Thanks for taking the call. Of course. I went, to, I went to Pitt back in the day. I mean, I'm an older guy. I'm a retired mm-hmm. Marine and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, in 78, we went down to West Virginia. I got my nose broke. Oof. Well, in 80, we went back to West Virginia, and I got my nose broke again. <laughs> and after being a Marine for 21 years, I never, ever got in a fist fight after that second time in West Virginia. I learned my lesson. Wow. It, it just, it, 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 you know, it, it just wasn't worth it. But at the same time, they were fun times. Mark yeah. May was there. Russ Grimm was there. Jeff Bosick was there. Dan Marino was there. And it was a great place to be. So, and so Jim, thanks for, for sharing what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you, Jim, for calling. I, I appreciate you chiming in. That, that's interesting, too, to not only go and face your just bitter rival. Pitt and West Virginia was one of the best college football rivalries in the country for, for several years. There were a lot of really awesome games, especially in the early 2000s. And and, and Jim talking about in, in the late 70s there, I think he said 78. That that was even even better, more of an intense time for, for those two programs to be going at one another. Uh, that's that's pretty crazy. And, and Jim letting us know that, you know, he learned his lesson, didn't want to, didn't, even if you won the fight, and and I'm assuming Jim being the the ex marine that that he probably came out at least uh, not the loser of either of those two fights, but still the the broken nose that'll oh man uh, I actually gosh I got a knock on wood for this one Ryan but I've actually never broken a bone never broken a bone I've sprained several places ankles wrists uh, shoulders back like. I've done all of that, but I've never actually broken a bone. And I have to imagine that getting your nose broken is probably one of the more painful things to have broken. I mean, like aside from your leg, right? Just having your entire leg broken, that that could be up there. But I don't know. Breaking your nose seems like it would be pretty stinking painful, doesn't it? Oh, God. Oh, man. And by the way, speaking about breaking noses, nobody nobody had their nose broken in the UFC 278 Usman versus Edwards two rematch the welterweight championship bout. No, there there were there were no broken noses, but we'll go back to this in in the final hour of the show because not only did we we get ourselves a treat in terms of the main event of this pay per view card, but Dana White just casually and he was egged on by Rob Gronkowski because I, I shouldn't just say that this was offered up by Dana White. Rob Gronkowski totally brought him in to try and get him to tell this story. Uh, and and credit to Gronk for doing that because it, it definitely was the moment of the night despite the fact that we had an incredible finish to, to the main event. But 
Well, I'm, I'm teasing it for you because we, we talked about it once already in the show, and we're going to come back to it to kick off the third hour. But uh, you're going to want to stick around because, man, it, it was it was very entertaining. And then coming up at 11, at 11.15 about, we'll talk to Linnell Willingham, Commander's pre- and post-game right here on 106.7 and an overtime host. Linnell is a jack-of-all-trades here at the station. Before we close up this hour, close up this segment, I just wanted to throw out there that I had very low expectations for hard knocks this season, right? The Detroit Lions, Jared Goff, their starting quarterback, ah, just, eh, just, eh, just the, not a lot of juice for me, right? Unless you're a Lions fan, how, how much juice could there possibly be? I mean, when they play on Thanksgiving every single year, a lot of people just kind of gloss over that one and just assume that whoever they're playing is a shoe in for an automatic win, or if if you've got somebody playing on your fantasy team that's playing against the Lions, you start them that week. But this season of Hard Knocks, and we're two episodes in, is one of the most intense seasons that I've seen. It, it, certainly in at least the last 10 years, right? First of all, their head coach, Dan Campbell, is awesome. He is a quintessential football guy. <laughs> and that is a phrase that gets kind of thrown around a lot. But he is a very much a football guy. He he is the intense football coach that stands up in front of his team and gives the impassioned speeches about bringing everybody together, becoming a better football team, becoming a better person, and and ultimately going out and, and doing what they do. Uh, but he does come off as very likable. You know, I I think his his players probably think he's a little bit crazy, but I think they can also tell how much he cares about them, and it certainly comes through. When you're watching this, and I mean, they're they're very competitive within their franchise, and and you know, there's only so much talent on that Lions roster. It's not as though I'm expecting them to go and win 11 games like the Dallas Cowboys did last year, right? The Dallas Cowboys were the team that was featured on the Summer Hard Knocks last year, and then they went on to win 11 games. Actually, I think it was 12 games. Um, that that. Either way, they obviously won the division, made the playoffs, fell short. They did exactly what they normally do, win the division, lose in the first round of the playoffs. I don't expect that to be what the Lions do or, or really anything close to that, but it is really cool to watch Dan Campbell try and instill hope within this franchise that has had so little for so long. And they drafted Aiden Hutchinson right in the, in the top five of, of this year's NFL draft, He's been a Lions fan his whole life. He played at Michigan. He's he's a Michigan guy, and he seems like the perfect fit for that. So, I, you know, I'd be lying if I if I wasn't rooting for that to turn into more. I, I just I've enjoyed the story through Hard Knocks so far, and and I'm hoping that they at least take a step forward, right? That they're not a doormat in the NFC North, and and you know maybe maybe they'll even give Aaron Rodgers a, a little bit of trouble when they face off with the Packers twice this season who who knows but i tell you what it is intense and i know hard knocks and training camp in general is supposed to be one of if not the most intense times of the year in the national football league as you kind of get yourself into shape but this is something else i'm telling you they're really going at one another there's more contact in this camp than there is in others and you're you're seeing from the commanders who who look a little bit gassed right now. They're not doing as much contact in their camps, and and you know they're maybe taking the the a little bit of a lighter approach in, in terms of the work that they do on a daily basis for practice. And they looked fatigued at the end of some of those drives. And and what Dan Campbell preaches in you'll see one of these first two episodes of Hard Knocks is that 
I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't make training camp hard for you guys so that you're ready to play when the games come around, right? I, I, I didn't finish my football career all that long ago. Fall of 2010, I played for eight years. And one of the things that our high school coaches used to tell us about why we do what we do during training camp is because you want the games to be the easiest thing that you go through every week. If practice is hard, the games are easy. And that was that was our mentality. We practiced in full pads all that season and we ended up we ended up going to the playoffs and falling short in the regional championship to a, to another very good, very talented team. But things are a little bit different now because there are expectations and and you can't overwork kids and and even in when you get to the NFL, you can't there are certain limitations that the players association has put in place in, in terms of overworking guys. So it's, it's, it's good season so far. I'm telling you, my expectations were low for, for lions, Detroit lions, hard knocks, but they've been well exceeded at this point. And, and now I'm honestly genuinely looking forward to the next episode coming up later on this week. I'm also looking forward to our number three, which is coming up in just a couple of minutes. We'll step aside, take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to one six, seven, the fan. 